Welcome to our Changing the Narrative podcast, where we have thought-provoking conversations about housing, homelessness, and community with local and national experts. I'm Ann Miske, the President and CEO of Union Station Homeless Services, and I'm excited about today's episode, which is entitled Opening Doors, Embracing Community. I'm going to be talking to our guests today about how we garner community support for both permanent and interim housing for families and adults. We will also be sharing our secret to success, engaging in honest community communication while building committed political willpower based on a foundation of high quality wraparound supportive services. So joining me for today's session is Sean Morrissey. Sean serves as the Vice President of Advocacy and Community Engagement at Union Station Homeless Services. He brings extensive knowledge of the issues involved in addressing homelessness with nearly 20 years of experience in the field of homeless advocacy, service provision, and social justice. So welcome, Sean. Thanks, Anne. Our second guest today is Teresa Eilers. Teresa is a Vice President at Street Level Strategy, a Los Angeles-based public affairs consulting firm. She has a decade of experience in community organizing, political campaign management. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you, Anne. So we're going to be talking today about housing and how do we bring housing into our communities with the support of the whole community. Sadly, we too often have seen this go wrong. Right here in Pasadena, we've had experience where we've been very excited about bringing some new high-quality permanent housing in for people experiencing homelessness, but the community stopped the development even after funding, permits, etc. was all in order. So let's start by talking about that specific instance to give a little bit of what not to do and then focused on how we do better at getting community support. So Sean, you were there at the infamous Ramada Inn event. So can you talk a little bit about what happened and, and what we learned from that? Yeah, that was something that was put on by the city of Pasadena, taking a motel and transforming it into really beautiful homes for people who were formerly homeless. There would be lots of on-site support services, resources, direction, and oversight for uh, the folks who were coming into the building. And this was all using a housing first model, which housing first models when practiced by Union Station have a 97% retention rate, which we're really proud of. So we all showed up to this meeting in East Pasadena. It was a community meeting, and we were excited to kind of share this good news with the community. And what happened was, you know, early on in the proceedings, the, the microphone got handed into the audience, and, and they didn't get it back again for about two hours. And boy, some of the worst things I've heard said about homeless folks were shared that night by community members. A lot of stigma, a lot of misinformation, a lot of myths. And basically what happened was that community shut down the entire process. And I think that that night we learned so much and it became apparent as it was happening that the narrative that was being handed down was just an old narrative that betrayed the complexity of the issue. From there, we kind of used that event as, a, as an organization, Union Station, as a jumping off point for creating 
and disseminating a new narrative because we saw how desperately we needed that. Yeah, thank you, Sean. And and also as someone who was there that day, people are afraid because they have a certain mental image or picture of what homelessness is. And it's bad people. It's people who are criminals. It's people who are, you know, are they going to put my family in danger by being there as opposed to simply people who are lacking housing and that through housing with intensive supportive services simply become your neighbor. So I want to switch to actually what did work. Shortly after this happened, you know, there was this international event called COVID. And the first things they said with COVID is stay home to stay safe. Well, if you don't have a home, that's pretty hard. So there was a lot of focus on getting people inside and safe. And so a number of initiatives started in communities where literally the city or the state went in and said, we're renting this hotel or we're buying this hotel and we're going to put people in it. A recipe for huge community backlash. So in El Sereno, we helped move two complete encampments off the streets in the hotels. And we all went, we do not want a repeat of the former event. So we planned it very, very differently. Sean, what were a couple of the things we did differently? One of the things that we immediately got to work doing was getting out in the community and creating a new narrative to anybody who would listen. You know, we were showing up at church groups and neighborhood associations and renters groups. And Teresa and I, we did a bus tour. And so by the time the El Sereno project came up, we had, I think, a fair number of allies in the community, people who because I think I'd like to think we had messaged so well, had now changed their own hearts and minds or, and were willing to come alongside us. So when El Sereno started, I think we had this pool of people that picked from to help us. Yeah, I think that's great. And you mentioned something really important, Sean, and that is, you know, bringing key people on side. So Teresa, can you talk a little bit about how do you build allies, whether it be at the political level or at the community level around housing? Often people will ask me uh, how I can keep working in politics year after year, and it's a really good question. And part of it is uh, there's a lot of hope and optimism knowing that there is a very specific formula that works. If you want to get a ballot measure passed, you need 50% of the vote. And similarly, if you want to get any type of project development to successfully go through, you can get the majority of people to be on your side and to be vocal. And so what's really important if you want to be able to build up some type of movement is to find like-minded folks first. And so, for example, we found a bunch of folks who wanted to co-host affordable housing and supportive housing bus tour with us. And we brought those folks together. And then we said, okay, well, well now we have a group of like-minded leaders. Let's teach other folks who are like-minded what we believe the solutions are. And then from there, you create ripple effects and you build more leaders and you keep them engaged and you say, great, well, now that you know that these are the solutions, we need you to come out and participate in local politics. Because if you don't utilize your voice, then you are not heard. And in the meantime, folks who believe in a different solution might be coming out. So it's all about strength in numbers, educating folks so that people are on the same message 
and mobilizing them and keeping them engaged and then growing a movement so that we can get that 50% of the folks on board mobilized and then we can create real change. Yeah, I think that's great. And in El Sereno, one of the people that we brought to the conversation was a city councilor from a neighboring community who had been very, very angry and upset when one of these hotels moved into his community and very much against it. And we had gotten to know him in that community. We had introduced him to the folks, the clients living at the hotel. He was able to come in and see with his own eyes how it worked. He then became a huge champion. So that was one of the most powerful voices to have somebody who had been very much against it with the same fears, the same myths, the same misperceptions. But when he saw the reality, he changed over and became a real proponent of this model. We've really seen as we've done this work, a lot of our job is to really be able to talk to people about the realities of the situation and not sugarcoat things, but be honest, be upfront, be transparent with people, but try to really mitigate some of those misperceptions and fears that, that people have. Let's talk a little bit about specific communication strategies that, that we've been using as we've learned how to do this better. And let me throw this to you, Sean. We've talked about the myths that are out there. Can you talk a little bit about how we address some of those? Yeah, I think the first thing that we did was we created a myths fact sheet, uh, make that a very formal portion of our presentation, which also you know works to dispel a lot of the stigma so that by the time we got around to the questions and answers, those statements or those myths, if you will, had already been refuted. So that was really helpful. The other part of the communication, I think, that is crucial is we always made sure that we had the voice of lived experience present in, in the room. And that serves two purposes. One, it serves to humanize the problem in a real way that people can, can see that this is really just a human being who is not very different from me. And the other purpose that having someone with lived expertise in the room serves is you kind of temper people's anger, negativity, some of the statements that you would normally hear people make that they don't feel as comfortable making when the people that they're talking about are also part of the, the panel presentation. Absolutely. There is a lot of frustration out there about homelessness. We see the numbers growing. We've seen encampments and people feel like, well, all of this money is going, but it doesn't feel like things are getting better. What people don't realize is we're housing record numbers of people, but the inflow is greater than the outflow. More people are falling in every day than we can manage. But what we're doing actually is working. But at the same time, there is this frustration in the community. And I think part of it is because people feel like they can't do anything. So can you talk a little bit about calling people to action, if you will, and how that changes where people may fall on an issue if they have a way to do something? Yeah, that's a great question. And I want to start with the fact that, no, this is systematic. This is happening to folks throughout the entire state, throughout the entire country. And so we need to create systematic solutions. So that's part of mobilizing people to call them to action is you have to acknowledge, okay, well, you can't solve homelessness unless you have a home. So one, we either keep people in their homes or two, we create housing for people to go into, whether it be affordable housing, supportive housing, and in the interim, some type of shelter. And so that's really important for people to be on board and say, this is the solution. And then it's thinking about, well, 
which people do you need to get on board? And in my mind, there's three different groups. And so the first group is your base, the folks who organized that bus tour with us, and they said, okay, yes, housing and homelessness is an issue, and the solution is we need more supportive services, and we need more housing, and the housing first model works. The second group is the independents or the persuadables, where we bring them into the tent with us. And then the third group that we need to target are the people in power, and we need our base, and we need those persuadables to go and give public comment to city council members, to their supervisors, to commissioners. Also, in my opinion, build one-on-one relationships with them. It's really easy to be angry at people in power all the time, but I, I know someone who's a huge Housing First advocate, who's a staunch Democrat, and she's befriended a council member who is a staunch Republican, and they have the cutest text messages back and forth. And it's just because she prioritized building a relationship with him. And so he'll reach out to her specifically to get an opinion outside of his bubble because he views her to be a trusted source. So having building relationships with people in power is extremely important. And it's not just fighting. It's meeting people where they are, figuring out why they think this way, and then building a relationship and taking the next step forward with those solutions. Thank you, Teresa. That's such a huge point around our political uh, elected officials, because what we have seen so often in community is that the elected official will stop progress around housing because they're hearing all the negative voices. And, you know, we've we've seen this where an issue comes up like housing and the room will be filled with the naysayers. And yet we actually know through polling that most people actually are pretty positive towards it. They're not the ones that are coming out because they're like, yeah, I'm good with it. It's all good. It's, so then the politicians hear the hundred in the room that are angry about it and don't hear the 5,000 that are fine with it. So I think that is so important for our community members to know that your voice is vital. And I always say that the voice of someone in the community is a lot stronger than, say, my voice or Sean's voice, because everybody knows we have a vested interest. We're already there. So if Joe, who owns a local business, comes to the council and says, yeah, I really want this housing to happen, those are priceless voices. Thank you so much, both of you. Before we close, though, I'd like to give each of you an opportunity to say, you know, what is one thing you would like for our audience to know or understand about this issue? We're all, for the most part, impacted by our housing shortage crisis. You know, for example, I'm from South Pasadena, but all you cannot afford to live in South Pasadena. So I wanted to have a bathtub and a backyard. So now I live in a, you know, apartment in Rosemead. People who are middle class are even impacted by this housing crisis is really important to understanding why we're seeing a homelessness crisis. If you are on fixed income, uh, for example, social security or disability, and your rent goes up, well, you don't really have any other option but to start living in a car, staying on the street, finding a shelter. And that's one of the reasons why we're seeing this huge influx of folks falling into homelessness. And in order to really create this type of change, you need to build relationships with people. Listen to them. Listen to why they think and feel a certain way and also ask them to listen to you. 
and uh, ask them to listen to why you think and feel a certain way. And without those type of conversations, we're not able to get the real important policies and developments passed that we need to. Thank you. Such such an important point, not just for today's podcast, but I think nationally a message that we need to pay a lot more attention to. So thank you, Teresa. Sean, how about you? Yeah, I guess I would just say that this issue that we have of homelessness is infinitely solvable. And the thing that is going to solve this more than anything else is for human beings to come together and see each other as equal. And that's what makes healthy community. So all of our models, all of the work that we do, all of our focus has to be about imbuing people or empowering people with um, meaning and, and purpose in their lives. It can't just be about giving them an apartment and then walking away. It has to be about creating real, authentic um, relationships and healthy community. Yeah, I I think that's it. Um, you know, people people ask me how we end homelessness and. Uh, I think it's pretty basic. We can talk about housing and all of those things, which are essential, but ultimately it's recognizing the humanity in one another. And when when you, you know, inherently don't believe that a human being should have to live in that kind of a situation, that we are then compelled as a community to do something about it. And it's it truly is, the, you know, the title of today's podcast was Embracing Community. And I think this is it. These are members of our community and it's how do we do a better job of embracing that and how do we help people understand in community that it isn't a scary thing. In fact, it's much safer, much better when people are inside, whether they're next door from you or you know across the street as opposed to the encampment down the street. That's really key and that's really what this is all about is dispelling those myths, helping our community work together with us, create Yimbies, which is yes in my backyard because yes, these are my neighbors. They just happen to be living in a tent right now. I'd much rather have them in the apartment next door. Thank you all for listening to our podcast today. And a special thank you to Sean and to Teresa, our amazing guests today. If you want to learn more about our advocacy programs or our lived expertise advisory panel or LEAP, you can log into our website at unionstationhs.org. Again, that's Union Station, HS, as in Homeless Services, .org. This podcast is produced by Brenda Lynch and Katie Cookerly Dietrich, edited by Jesse Lumen, with production assistance by Colin Feldman. Special thanks to our Union Station Homeless Services Lived Expertise Advisory Panel, or LEAP, for their insights. And thank you to our audience today for joining us and listening to this episode. I encourage you to subscribe and listen to all our episodes and help us change the narrative about homelessness in our neighborhoods. Together, we are the solution that we want to see in our communities. Thank you all.